Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Peter Goldstein, and I'm founder and chief synergy officer for We Did It, where we bring you the plant-based, thrive, and inspire community so that we can help build the numbers of people who are plant-based because our vision, probably like yours, is for a healthy, happy, vegan world. So with that, uh, I want to welcome you and uh, we're looking for our special guest today is Victoria Moran, who's going to talk to us about uh, about loving animals because this is February Valentine's month where the theme is loving animals. So for us, uh, we want to bring you all kinds of resources and information and people to help us uh, be much more available and ready to, to look for those opportunities where somebody who's not plant-based, who's not vegan, uh, we can inspire them, we can show them that this lifestyle is the solution for health, for animal justice, for climate healing, as well as for world hunger. So with that, I would like to bring on on screen my co-host, uh, Marquita Solis, and here she is. Welcome, Marquita. Hi, Peter. I'm um, just getting getting ready, and I'm trying to get the link to Victoria. So let me see here. I'm excited to have her join because I just I went to her vegan Main Street Vegan Academy, and it was a powerful, life changing experience. So anyone that has has not yet that might not know about Main Street Vegan Academy, check it out. I mean, the there um, every week. I mean, it's it's a it's a full. I don't know how many weekend experience or how many days, but it's um, like a seven hour day that you hear speakers, um, like Dr. Milton Mills, who is amazing, speaking about health. Um, and then we had all sorts of great speakers on nutrition, health, and um, like animal agriculture, the fur industry, all sorts of amazing speakers to educate us on how we can be better advocates with knowledge. We've got to have knowledge. And so that's what Victoria's Academy does, is give us the knowledge to be able to go out there and be effective advocates. So I also, she also made, wrote Main Street Vegan Academy book, which I carried around with me a few times. And just doing that, people asked me about, you know, tell me about this, tell me about your book. So that was just a wonderful, um, another wonderful way to non-aggressively <laughs> which I never am. I, I'm not aggressive anyway by nature, <laughs> but a very passive way of, of promoting veganism because people are right. curious, right? And then you don't have to get anybody's face. They ask about the book and then I'm happy to share. Have, have you had that experience before, Peter? Well, absolutely. And I, I know how what we're up against uh, so many people when you say the word vegan, uh, they they're like you know stay away from me and uh, I I don't want to hear it and unfortunately that's uh, that's that is unfortunate and and what we need to do is to help people understand that this is about being compassionate and uh, 
and it is really important for for health, for animal justice, and for reversing um, the climate issues that we're facing. And I, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not sure where Victoria is. She's uh, on the way. And Mar she's on the way. She's on her way, and she's she's been waylaid. And Marquita, are you in touch with her now? Yes, I am. I am. Yeah, she was having an okay. issue with the link, so we're good. But um. Okay. So technical difficulties. Imagine that with with today's world, with all the technologies and everything else. So, please please stay tuned, and she will be with us uh, shortly. So. Any I'll go ahead. Yes, so um, I know she'll have a very, very interesting conversation. Victoria is an absolute leader of the the Vega movement. She has been doing it for decades. She's she launched uh, one of the first podcast series uh, ever for for vegans, and she has served so much in so very many ways. I'm so excited to have her join us and. Uh, look forward to having it. So in the meantime, I suppose I'll tell you a little bit about what we're up to. We have some incredibly exciting things coming up as we're we're getting ready to, to launch. <laughs> and I think I see Victoria here. Uh, and let me bring her on. Uh, I expect you're ready, Victoria. And hello, Victoria. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I yeah, I'm sorry, my, my sound was up and I have this condition called hyperacusis. So when I hear anything loud, it's um, problematic. So, hi. Hi and welcome. Hi, and do that again. Hello and thank you for having me. I'm sorry? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We are so honored that you, you're joining us. You, I was just uh, talking about how you've been such a leader of the vegan movement for decades now. And although, uh, yeah, so all the amazing things that you've done and, and changed so many lives and uh, just, it's such an honor to have you. And of course, with, yes, welcome. Thank you. Well, I am just lucky that I heard about it when I was really young. And in those days, a lot of people didn't. I mean, veganism was kind of unheard of and vegetarianism was weird. And so I, I feel that I was really blessed to have had some associations with the UK where it was more widely known and, and really got in on this uh, kind of early. <laughs> Well, and we're glad you, you you have, and I know you have so so much experience. And we're we're all this month. We're about uh, loving animals for Valentine's Day, and and so happy Valentine's month. And I know you have so much so much wisdom to share about the best approaches to to share the love with with other people who don't really understand about being vegan and and we know that just about everybody if they understood what goes on with animals and animal suffering they would certainly they, their heart would would go out and and they would uh, stop eating animals and torturing animals and and serving serving the world by doing that so yeah so um 
Yeah, please tell us more about your, your journey and, and the work that you're doing with Vegan Academy and and the books and, and everything else that you've been publishing and working with. Oh, wow, you just asked me to talk for two hours. So uh, I'll well, try, to, try to shorten fast. it a little bit. I, I love this topic because I have been an animal lover my whole life. And maybe I was born like that, but I think it was probably because I was influenced to be like that by someone in my life. I had a wonderful nanny. She was grandmother aged and she just always took in strays. She was not herself vegetarian, but she spoke very highly of them and told me about vegetarians when I was five years old. And I kind of filed that away for, I think, think that might be something I'm going to end up doing someday. And so I kind of came very naturally to having a heart for animals. And I know not everybody does, but what's really interesting is when people stop eating animals for their health or the environment or whatever reason, they often then open up to those beings that they're no longer consuming. And it, you know, it's very hard when you're supporting an industry that maybe you're a little bit like, I'm not sure about that, but you're still part of it. You can't really speak out. You can't really get all excited about, I'm going to do things differently because you're not doing things differently. So I think it's, it's very exciting. We're at a really wonderful time now when people can open up to, to living with more compassion. And I just think we need that in so many ways. I was noticing yesterday, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, who's just one of my favorite people, uh, I'm sure many of the people who are listening to this know him. He's, he's vegan, he has foster children, he gave a kidney to a stranger, he's a remarkable person. And he posted something yesterday, terrible thing, about um, a female prisoner in Arizona who was pregnant and her labor was induced and she was forced to give birth early for no medical reason, but evidently just to make things more convenient for the prison. And he was talking about this, this sacred event was, was just made something else. And that really spoke to me because I think that at the root of so much of what's wrong now in terms of the foods we choose and how it's so hard for people to get along and crime is on the rise and you know all that stuff is this inability to recognize and honor the sacred and it's all around us life is is sacred these incredible animals with whom we share the planet, every single person that we meet, the wonder of waking up for another morning. And to just be able to, through ritual or, or meditation or sharing with like-minded people, just acknowledge that some of these things are so pure that it just makes us want to live in the best way we can. That's Absolutely. So yeah, I feel like that, you know, we've lost connection to the whole planet, right? We've, we, we don't see the beauty and simple, the divinity and simple things. And I love what you're saying, because I remember when I went to 
Well, I went to hear Rob Bell, who's a preacher, and he talks about everything is spiritual. And I didn't get that for a long time. And it must have been in the back of my mind. And one day I finally, it just snapped. Everything is spiritual. Every, every, I mean, even my cell phone, like it was created with people that have, um, you know, that have beautiful lives and beautiful souls, and they put their heart into making the cell phone. So that is a spiritual process. I never understood it. So that, I feel like that's what you're talking about here, Victoria, that we're missing the spirituality of the everyday experiences. I think that's really at the heart of so much. And then in terms of just animals and loving animals, to me, it's loving life. And obviously, we're going to be more attracted to certain life forms than others because we just think they're extra pretty or whatever it is. But something that was brought home to me long, long ago, I was working in animal rights back in Kansas City in the 1970s, and I was in this group, and there was an older woman in it, probably the age I am now, and I remember she said, I don't love animals, I hate cruelty. And I thought, you don't love animals. Well, number one, what's wrong with you? And number two, what are you doing here? But what she said has really made so much sense to me over the years because we all have different things that we find wonderful. You know, some people, they just live for sports and other people, it's like, why? It's a ball, you know? And and yet it we're all here and we're all we're all living and i think about for example if somebody walked past me on the streets here in new york city and they had their baby stroller and they had their dog you know i would be gushing over the dog but if anybody tried to harm that child or do anything that that was was you know in in toward toward to that child i would be right there even though my particular affinity is more the dog <laughs> than the baby. And if we can reach people in that way, they don't have to be animal lovers. They don't have to be, oh, he's so cute. They don't have to want to live with companion animals. You know, that's all optional. But to just, just hate the cruelty, just like whatever being is, is being harmed, is is being made to suffer when it is preventable we just need to be there for that being absolutely it, yeah it's it's so amazing I, and i think it's 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 evolution of human consciousness i think the time has come for humanity to recognize that that all animals feel and experience and and they are so much like humans. It's all sentient beings are, are so much more equal than than historically humanity has acknowledged. And it's it's really time for us to recognize that that it's not just the dogs and cats that have feelings and deserve our love, but it's uh, the the calves and and the pigs and everybody has everybody every, yeah. yes they're all everybody so when we say everybody it it really is about all sentient beings and yeah. and and everybody everybody they all deserve our compassion and they all deserve to be treated with appreciation and love 
That's true. And I, I love your little Freudian slip there, which turns out to be a Freudian truth. And um, there is a leader in, in the vegan world. She's called the Supreme Master. She's a, a Buddhist um, spiritual teacher. And in all of her videos and everything, animals are referred to as animal people. And I think that's a really interesting little verbal shift because we know, I remember reading about the Vietnam War that the American soldiers were trained to see the Vietnamese soldiers not as human, as something less than that, and, and that enabled them to do terrible things that they wouldn't have been able to do had they seen these people as, as fellow humans. And when we start to think of animals as animal people, you know, that just that just helps whether you're an animal lover or not. It, it just helps to bring it up to where you can see it. And, and the cognitive dissonance problem, I don't think these days it's so much that people really believe that animals don't feel or that animals don't have souls or any of that stuff. I think it's that there is this big block once that animal has been turned into food. So I'll tell you a little story. This was a couple of years ago. I was out having lunch at a little outdoor cafe. And, you know, all these women around me, they're having their salad with the chicken on it. And then somebody noticed that there was an injured pigeon. And I mean, it, it, was, it, it was just like a four alarm blaze. Everybody is mobilized. So somebody is calling the wild bird fund. Somebody else is going to get a cab. Somebody is in the back trying to get a box out of the kitchen to put the pigeon in. And everybody is very involved. And once this pigeon has been transported to someplace to get help, everybody sits back down to eat their chicken. So I just think that really illustrates if that had been an injured chicken, same thing. They would have all done the same thing because the animal would have been there. But once that animal is turned into a commodity, is turned into something that you can buy wrapped in cellophane in, in a supermarket, people don't see animal anymore. And I think if somebody could come up with a way to make that translation, you know, it's like maybe some people still wouldn't care. But they would at least know. And I think most people, just like you said at the beginning, if they really knew, but if they really knew deep down, like the word we used to use was grok, if they really grokked it, if they really got it, then it, it just, you could never eat another bite of meat again. Yeah, amazing. And that's maybe that is really the place to focus because there certainly is a missing link. And, and that is that is it. It's it's amazing. Somebody was telling me a story about uh, about this this young father with with two kids uh, that that are, are like eight and ten, and and the young father was asked to set some some traps for for mice, and he refused to because his children would never forgive him for for killing mice, right? So he refused to do it. But then. Then he went home and fed fed the kids hot dogs and chicken nuggets, right? So this, you're right. This is a, such a huge disconnect, and and yeah, let's let's see if there if we can f 
find. And and as with our mission, with with we did it. Um, you know, our platform is all about looking for these for some new ways to break through because certainly being vegan and, and whole food plant-based, these movements are, are 75 years old and older. And somehow we haven't quite found the key of how to how to really move the needle, how to get more people interested. So to me, it's mind boggling that after 75 years, we only have a couple percent of the world really embracing being vegan. Yeah. Uh, so if, if there's anything we can do as a platform to encourage the conversation, to encourage the, the search for, for that link, to, to be able to get people to really start understanding that that, that, that chicken in, in that wrapping is in that cellophane is, is an animal and was an animal and had suffered to get there. And I'm not sure, Victoria, what, how, would you, how would you approach trying to find answers <laughs> to that? Well, I, I think a lot of people are trying and have tried. I think that uh, Dr. Melanie Joy has um, mm -hmm. taken us maybe uh, farther than anybody else with her concept of carnism, that right. the, the moral structure has just been set up that certain things are allowed for humans and certain things are allowed for animals. And then there's this kind of middle place for dogs, cats, horses, and certain wildlife. But, but even they, you know, there's this terrible thing uh, happening right now. They want to kill a lot of, of wild horses and, and foals out west because they're interfering with the grazing of, of the ranchers. And it is interesting how all this you know, comes together. If it weren't for the ranchers wanting to raise the cattle for people to eat meat, then the wild horses would be left alone. But it's everybody, I think, wants to live up to their own moral code. I mean, even the mafia, you know, it had a code. And so it, people had always certain standards. And we're in a time now where there's a lot of shifting and a lot of the standards are, are tearing down and some others are being proposed and they haven't been accepted yet and maybe some will and some won't. So we're definitely in a time of upheaval in, in the larger world. But the, the whole food choice issue is so complex because even on the scientific side there's just all of this controversy and i can understand how with the animals and that you know it can get philosophical it can get religious and people can bring in other arguments but when we're just talking about health it to me it's so clear but obviously it's not clear to other people and I remember when I first read the Dean Ornish findings, this was before they were officially published, but they were being written about, it was about 1988, 1989. And I remember exactly where I was sitting, my little apartment in Kansas City, like, well, it's been decided about the food. Maybe it'll take a while before people understand about leather shoes and um, cosmetic testing on animals and things like that. But in terms of what we're supposed to eat, got it, that's done. Well, obviously it wasn't done. And this is a change, this change of our food choices. It, it's evidently uh, seems insurmountable for some people. 
that they won't do it for their own health. I mean, obviously some people do, but most people, and they won't do it for their own health, maybe because they convince themselves that they don't have to. And they won't do it for animals because there are excuses for, you know, that's what they were put here for. And we really have to eat them because we're omnivores and we need animal protein and we need calcium from milk and, you know, all that. I think people are so surrounded by walls of excuses that are hereditary and traditional and they've come from school and church and advertising and the medical pharmaceutical complex that it, it's really it's a tough one and i think if anybody could could solve that if anybody could just get people to get it and then they'd still be free to make their own choices I mean, that person would get every kind of Nobel Prize they're passing out, but nobody's done it yet. Yet, and that's that's the key. It's 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 yet, and I'm very hopeful that it will happen soon. And and there's so many wonderful people like you, Victoria, working on the solution and and looking to find the ways to to have the compassionate conversations and and to to help inspire other people to understand because it's just inconceivable for me that somebody who really understands the connections between the animal suffering and the animal abuse is, is really okay with it. Well, I think it's very easy to put a wedge between what happens and what's on the plate. If, if you see uh, commercials about dairy or, or about meat, but it's usually about dairy. You see these happy cows and then you see the milk. You don't see the milking machines, the having the babies ripped, you know, away from, from the moms. And with meat, it's, it's the happy animal. And then there's the burger and the slaughterhouse is left out. And now I think people have also convinced themselves that the animal foods that they eat are humane. And sometimes the label actually says that, although that label doesn't have to mean anything. And when I talk to people, you know, educated people, they just assume that because they have a certain level of, of stature in the world, that the food that they eat must be humane and sustainable, except it's not. I mean, only about 2% of, of the animal foods are grown in these ways that are even supposed to be humane and sustainable. And, and, and we can argue about whether any of it really is. I um, certainly would recommend the work of uh, Hope Bohannik, who's uh, written a book called The Humane Myth. And there's also a wonderful documentary, The Peaceable Kingdom, that talks about that. So I think even the 2% has plenty of problems. But the fact is, it's only 2% of the animal products that come from that system. But I'd say 85% of the omnivores that I talk to just assume and act as if their food is from the 2%. You know, the math doesn't work. No, 
It does something. Yeah. Well, Victoria, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Marquita. Well, I was just going to ask, um, when you go out with your friends that, that, that are not vegan or you meet someone, do you, how do you handle that? I mean, do you, do you try to, <laughs> to somehow advocate, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis or are there ways that you could, some tips that you could give us maybe if when you go to the store or any kind of little tips that we might use? Um, well, I think it's really to shine your light and not to push your veganism, but to be very proud of it and just assume that everybody else is either vegan or pre-vegan. Because I would never say to somebody, oh, do, do you want to go somewhere where you can have meat? I've had people a couple of times say it to me that they wanted to go somewhere where there, there would be meat. But I just treat everybody like a vegan because I, that's the kind of respect I have for them. It's like, why would I assume that you would want to eat the product of suffering and death and clog your own arteries? It's like, why would I think that of you? So unless they tell me that they want something different, we're going to go to a vegan or vegetarian restaurant. Now I realize I'm in New York City and that's easier. But other places, you know, an ethnic restaurant where there are plenty of, of vegan options available would be something that I would suggest or, you know, soup and salad place, whatever it is. And and sometimes somebody will say, do you mind if I eat whatever it is? Now, I know that there are people who are empaths and they see a piece of meat on somebody's plate and they're just there for the slaughter. I mean, it's, it, they, they cannot do it. It just hurts their hearts so badly. And I generally would, would just say, it's not my job to tell you what to order because I think that making it a kind of forbidden fruit. Now I come from a history of compulsive eating and binge eating. And so I know what it is to really have a craving for something. And if I'm out to eat with somebody and they have a craving that they don't fulfill because of me, they're going to number one, go fulfill it double <laughs> later and they're going to blame me and they're going to say, oh, those vegans, you know, they're such killjoys. They, they just they, they won't let you do anything you want. And something that I learned in my own recovery from compulsive eating was a concept that I call healing at the desire level. And I think that's really important for anybody that's going to change their diet, that we have to get to the point where at least most of the time we just don't want it. Because if every day you wake up and it's like, oh, my God, I want an omelet. Oh, my God, I want a cheeseburger. I just I just I can't stand this. You know, people are going to eventually give in. So we've got to have enough support, enough reasons. And, and if somebody's really interested, I love the book Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. He and his wife were expecting their first child, and they wanted to know what sort of diet they, they wanted to have uh, when they had brought this new life into the world. So he traveled all around the country going to all kinds of farms, factory farms and these supposed humane farms and all of them. And at the end of it, he determined we have to raise our child vegan. I mean, it's just there are too many problems in raising uh, animals for food. And so I realize most of us can't take six months off and <laughs> go all over the country. But 
we could watch videos. Um, we could visit a farm sanctuary. We could hear the stories of, of actual animal people who were taken from these, these situations. So I realized I got off on a tangent and I didn't give tips. So let me get into tip, uh, <laughs> tip mode. Okay. Number one, you're out with somebody else. You shine your light. You eat your vegan food. You enjoy it. If it happens not to be very good, you don't complain about it because we're trying to invite people in, you know, with another vegan, I can say, this is the worst tofu scramble I've ever had, but not with a non-vegan. You know, we say that. Um, and you, you treat people like they're on the road to this. You say, oh my gosh, have you tried that new macadamia milk? It is to die for. N not like, um, are you exploring veganism? No, it's just like, who, who wouldn't have wanted to try that? Because it's a cool thing to try. Um, and then also, just every time you ask a question, like I wandered into a little uh, hair salon here in New York. It's called Gentle Hair Color. And I wandered in because I've been going to a place that's cruelty-free and vegan, but it's expensive. And I thought, well, maybe this other place would be cheaper. So I just wandered in and said, are the products you use cruelty-free? And she explained that, yes, they were. And, you know, we talked for a while. But every time you ask a question like that, it brings it into the conversation. So I just go through life assuming that everybody is vegan or on the road to it. And that was actually um, underscored for me when I was watching a Queer Eye, which is just a delightful, <laughs> inspiring kind of show. And... I don't like the part where they cook because they're almost always cooking some kind of animal parts. But on this particular episode, they were with a vegan woman who has a, a sanctuary, I think down in Texas. And so um, the person who does the cooking was doing, I think a cauliflower steak or something with her. And he made the comment well, you know, everybody is really doing this. Everybody is either plant-based or on their way to that. And I thought, this just came out of the mouth of somebody who just cooks any kind of animal <laughs> that comes along. And also who is in that pretty sophisticated world of entertainment and, and whatnot. And he says, everybody is either doing it or on their way to doing it. So that's just the attitude that I take out with with everybody i love that that's that's awesome yes to to be able to see that and and expect that we can have we can have different conversations and and knowing that it's the process and they're on their way that's beautiful and yeah so so expecting that uh, i love i love what uh the questions you you just uh spoke about the question you've asked um and and asking the right questions seems to me like it's an important habit to learn. So, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Some so what what are some great questions that that we could be asking people in terms of you know to assuming that they're on their way? What would be some questions to to help? What am I trying to say here? To to help. Uh, trigger to help bring forth some thought processes uh, that would that would help them along the way. 
Yeah, well, I, I love my friend uh, Marty Davey, who's a wonderful uh, plant-based dietitian, says that the the person who asks the question owns the argument. <laughs> so when somebody says, where do you get your protein? It's so good to say, where do you think I get it? Because obviously, if I'm alive and upright and moving around, it's coming from somewhere. And then they start, they're like, oh, peanut butter and it, you know you just start this this conversation and i think also when somebody says why are you vegan if you can answer without it seeming sarcastic it's like well might i ask you why aren't you and i mean nobody's ever been asked that you know <laughs> it's like why aren't you vegan that doesn't come up in, in everyday conversation and so i think those are a couple that I would think of specifically, but more than that, I think it's just being interested in the person because if somebody is not looking to change their diet, if somebody hasn't seen some kind of awful cruelty footage online or, or something, that's just not where their head is. But if they know that we're vegan and we're just nice people and we're empathetic and you know we're we're not unkind even though we're standing by our principles it means a lot i'll tell you another story this is when i was dating my husband and he'd never met vegans he'd never met vegetarians until he he met my daughter and me and so trying to be respectful the first couple of weeks that we were dating we would go to ethnic kind of restaurants. So we were hitting Chinese and Mexican and Italian and all the places that it was, you know, easier to be vegan or, you know, he, he ate vegetarian those couple of weeks. But then as it started to get a little more serious, he shows up and says, we're going to have a surprise, but first I brought you this. And he gives me this beautiful package and it's all wrapped. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, maybe lingerie. Well, it was a Kansas City Chiefs um, sweatshirt, which was a little bit horrifying to me because I just, I don't do sports, plus it was red. And it's like, all right, all right, this is weird. But the reason he gave me that was because he was taking me to a sports bar, which meant there were televisions all over everywhere playing all kinds of sports. I mean, to me, this is a lower level of, of uh, inferno, but <laughs> trying to be polite. And I ordered, you know, toast or something, <laughs> like all they had. And then he ordered for the first time in all these weeks we had been trying this thing out, a steak. And he didn't even ask for it to be well done. And they bring him this giant steak and it's got all this blood. And I'm thinking, this was a mistake. You know, I had only dated spiritual vegetarians and they were kind of delicate back in those days. <laughs> it hadn't worked out. So I thought I would try something else. And it's like, no, this is not going to work. So the next morning I get this phone call and he says, I've been thinking. And in my head, I'm going like, well, I've been thinking too, buddy. <laughs> and he said, I've been thinking I'm not going to eat meat anymore. And what had happened the night before, I understand it was a test. And I'm sorry that a cow had to suffer 
for this test. But basically, he just wanted to know if I was going to get weird and freaked out and make a scene. And so I think whenever we reassure people that we have our values and we are sticking to them, but we're also sane, rational, classy people, it goes a long way. Not necessarily all the way to marriage, but occasionally. Uh, what a beautiful story! It, so much, so rich. I mean, yeah, it's we we never know when when that tipping point happens, and so to keep showing up at our best and 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 without confrontation, without pushing, without trying to make some, without doing something that might make somebody feel bad, and this is this is such a beautiful story. So keep keep being keep being our loving selves and our compassionate selves and and sooner or later pe people will see it and hear it that's thank you for sharing that that's so beautiful well i think too and, and thank you for for that but i we we're not so much about proselytizing you know nobody wants to be um told they have to change and do something different. As Marikita knows, because we've talked about this, I recently went through something where some people just decided that I was supposed to be part of their religion. And I mean, it was terrible. That hasn't happened to me in a long time because I have my own spiritual path and I'm very happy with it. But, you know, these, these folks would just not let me go. I finally sent them an email where I said, cease and desist. <laughs> that seemed to take care of it. But, you know, with the veganism, of course, because the animals are suffering, I want to say, but, but I have a right to be pushy. I'm being pushy because somebody is suffering. And if it worked, if being pushy, if, if you know, showing up at people's doors <laughs> helped, then sure, you know, we'll do it. It doesn't help. There's something in the 12-step programs where they say, if you have what somebody else wants, they will go to any length to get it. And so we need to live aspirational lives. I, I call this attraction activism. So if, if your health is improved and other people notice that, that's gonna be a thing, that's attraction activism. If your heart has opened, if because you've opened up to the plight of animals, you've also become kinder to everybody around you, they're going to notice that. If you're somebody who, when a little bug gets in your house, you, you, you put a little three by five card and a little paper cup on top, although I've heard that PETA sells an actual insect rescue device, but whatever, I still use the three by five card and the paper cup, and you take that out, and somebody sees you do that, they're just gonna remember. You, it, other people's actions stay with us. Here's another story. I am 11 years old and I am on a plane going to Spain. My parents were divorced. My mother married a guy in the Air Force. So they lived over there for uh, three years and I went in the summers to visit. So I was, seated next to a man from India. And when the flight attendant brought the meals, she handed him, you know, it was like chicken fried steak and stuff. And he said, I ordered a vegetarian meal. 
And as still often happens, she came back and said, we didn't get that on. There is no vegetarian meal for you, but what I can do is I'll just take the steak off the plate and bring you the rest. And the man said, oh, no, no need for that. I'll just eat after we land. And I am sitting there doing the math. It's like, wait a minute, that's seven hours. He's not gonna eat for seven hours. And I'm thinking as this 11 year old, I understand he's from India. I didn't know he was Gandhi. He's not gonna eat for seven hours. And that really, really did something for me. It had nothing to do with me. He wasn't talking to me. He didn't tell me not to eat the steak, but it really impressed me that his commitment to not eat an animal was so strong that he would fast for what to me <laughs> seemed like an interminable amount of time. So I think it's important to know that people are watching us. You know, we don't need to be always, and I mean, we can do certain some things. I mean, we can be online, we can give talks, we can do things like this so that people can opt in and hear where we're coming from and, and what we believe. But just living our regular lives, they are paying attention. That's very that's cool. A, yeah. Absolutely. That's so being being the example as as seems like that's that is the thing to do is be an example. Um, is there is there anything that we can do to to attract attention to that? I mean, it seems like sure we want to do that but is there is there a way to to sneak in and yeah. attract attention to to how we're being ourselves and and yeah. being yeah how well i think when it comes up organically i've got another story for you <laughs> so my, my, my morning of the story but several years ago i was taking a friend around new york city and we went to moose shoes which is our vegan shoe store down on the Lower East Side. And there were these boots hanging up there. And I mean, they were gorgeous. They were these this faux suede over the knee, tall boots, and you could fold down the cuffs and they were periwinkle blue. I mean, these were like boots from heaven. And I looked at the price tag and they were they were not cheap. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's, that's for in your next life. But then when I was going home on the subway, I heard the voice of God and God said, Victoria. And I said, yes. And God said, you are almost too old for full length, faux suede boots with wedge heels and fold over cuffs that are periwinkle blue. Almost, not quite. Act while there is still time. So based on that divine intervention, the next day I went back to Moose Shoes and I bought the boots. <laughs> and every time I would wear them, I would get comments from all different kinds of people. And sometimes it would be somebody who would say, attractive boots. And I would say, thank you and they're vegan. Or somebody would say, oh my gosh, I love your boots. And I'd say, thank you, and they're vegan. Or occasionally I would get, whoa, mama, 
And I would say, thank you. And they're vegan. So it's, it's just, it's not to push it. It's like, and they're vegan. And do you know that the way you live is causing pain and suffering and murder and you ought to be ashamed of yourself and you really need to change the way you live? No, I just said, thank you. And they're vegan. And that goes into the psyche. And it's just like we're seeing like the word around more. You know, you go to an Aveda salon and it will say all vegan all the time. You go into like a, a Whole Foods and vegan or plant-based will be on there. And, and it's so silly because often it's a product, it's, it's a fruit or something, you know, it's always been vegan. It's always been a plant. But now that is evidently seen as some kind of, of marketing tool. And I think that for us, we just need to have it showing, you know, just have it. Yesterday, I, I was uh, getting out of the subway and there were a couple of Mormon missionaries uh, on the corner, you know, and they're so clean cut and they're so young and they're so nice. And, you know, I have no desire to convert to Mormonism and I don't like people trying to convert me to anything. But I just felt so good about them because they're doing a lot of good things in the world. And I just kind of walked past and if somebody had said to me, you know, you know, anything kind of negative about their faith, I would say, no, you know, look, at, look how nice they are. Look how clean cut they are, you know, and they're not pushy and they're very kind. That's how we need to be as vegans. You know, we don't want to be like, oh, my God, vegans. Oh, just don't get yourself in a room with a vegan. You'll never get out alive. No, and we don't want to be like that. You know, we're we're committed and we have every reason to be but you know we can also be kind and it's so difficult it is so difficult because what we're dealing with is simply a numbers game and lack of agreement because right is to preserve life i mean we've got to know that so so we're on the right side of history in this way but our numbers are really small so we have to kind of allow that most people are doing other things. We go to Thanksgiving dinner. We're the one who's not going to partake of the dead bird in the middle of the table. And people feel like, oh, I made something special for you. You know, it, ours isn't special. Ours is normal. Ours is what will preserve and sustain life. But, but we're a small minority. And so it, it's, it's, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around how you have to be courteous to people who are supporting an industry that is abusing workers, abusing animals, using grains and beans that should be fed to starving people, but instead they're cycling through animals, harming the ecosystem and making global warming worse and all that kind of stuff. And yet we're the ones who have to be polite, but that's where we are right now. And so we just have to stand up for what we believe in and do it in the most efficient way possible, efficient and effective, which is usually kind. Yes, absolutely. Kind and loving. And 
that's that's what we need to do is is keep setting the example for it and and i love when you said that treat everybody like they will be vegan. I mean, that's, I think that's just so key and, and treat everybody with the love and respect that, that we, we do have for, for all life, including people who aren't vegan. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a tough one. If, if it were only health, if it was only like, oh, this is such a great way to live, you know, and it'll make you so healthy, you know, that would be such a different thing. But because it has to do with the suffering of the innocent, it, we can really, really feel like, please, can you see it? But until somebody sees it, they don't see it. And, and that's it, because we know that most people who, they don't understand, they don't link the suffering and, and the suffering of the innocent. And, and so it's not, yeah, so that's that's the gap, isn't it? Is people don't see it like you were saying before, the gap between the animals and what's in the package and on the plate. It's it's people aren't seeing it. I, I love it. I think that's that's so important to to keep remembering that and and to to look for opportunities to to show that opportunities and, and I love what you brought up about about what's going on in the supermarkets with, with how the marketers are starting to see that making something plant based is important because you know the marketers what what they're getting paid to do is to pay attention to what consumers want. So the fact that marketers are thinking that it's important to start putting plan based on something that that really says that's so encouraging for us because that says, yeah, you guys are being heard. It's it's important. And then and then that will just continue, I, I believe, because th th then people who aren't vegan they start seeing plant-based and they and that plants a seed so then when somebody keeps seeing plant-based plant-based then sooner or later they'll say well i'm kind of curious what's this all about right and that's that's really our our mission with our work is to to get somebody to hopeful curiosity so 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 i celebrate that that the word vegan and plant-based is, is getting out there in a positive way. Because, right, so when somebody sees it in the supermarket, they're thinking, wow, there must be something desirable about this. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm being told it's plant-based. Obviously, people are desiring it. And what am I missing out on? What am I missing out on by not really acknowledging the importance of being plant-based? Yeah, it's it's happening. It's and it's happening faster than I ever thought it would because I started out, well, I went vegetarian in 1969 and vegan in 1983. So it was a very different world and it's so much better known now. And certainly in the Gen Z population demographic, it's just, you know, going crazy, which is, is very, very hopeful. And it's, you know, it, it's not an overnight thing, obviously, but there's so many more of us and, and there's so much more, you know, food to choose from out there. And I know a lot of us just want to eat straight from, from the ground and that's probably best, but for people who, who walk into a supermarket and just want 
something like they're used to picking up, that's all there. And, and it's just thanks to uh, people. You know, I see wonderful people. I see you've got Linda Middlesworth on the, on the call today. She's just a saint for the animals. And there's so many of those. And then there's just something that a spiritual teacher of mine used to refer to as the upward progression of the universe. And I love that concept because sometimes it doesn't, we can't see it, you know, like not seeing the forest for the trees was actually watching SVU. And one of the characters commented, I think that society peaked in 1999. And it's <laughs> funny, I mean, I've kind of thought that too, or sort of like, oh my gosh, you know, when the end of, of uh, civilization was the creation of the smartphone, I don't know. But it, it's very easy to say, ooh, ooh, things, things don't look good. You know, we didn't used to have all these shootings and all this and that, and yet, beyond just what we're seeing, there is this upward progression of the universe. And as that continues, and as we're part of that, and as we contribute to that, I think it's going to mean that the people that we're reaching out to, the people who are watching us, are going to also be at more of a place to want and accept this kind of higher way of living. And I think too, not to get too woo woo, but I do have a strong background in yoga. And the teaching there is that what we eat creates this physical vehicle. And you can't have a spiritual experience as long as you're living on earth without the body being part of that. And if the body has become the, the cemetery for, for death, then it's just not going to vibrate at the level for getting these ahas and these higher ideas and this inspiration and the spiritual growth and this wonderful way that maybe you could do something for the poor, or for world peace or for whatever it is that, you know, you, you hold dear. And so to just change the way we eat so that our bodies really are more like temples of the spirit and less like sarcophagi for animals who did not want to be murdered, it's going to lift everything up. No doubt. So beautifully said. I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure there's a lot of truth in that. It resonates for me too. And I know it resonates for a lot of, lot of people. I, I think being vegan is is a spiritual experience and and a spiritual path and and or or part of a spiritual path more likely it's acknowledging life and appreciating life and and not being like you said the, the cemetery for for dead carcass and i love it wow there's there is so much to talk about here and and so appreciate you being with us we we have a couple minutes left so we're going to need to wrap it up pretty soon, but you so much, you, you have done so much and contributed in so many ways. And, and I love that you, you bring spirituality into the conversation. That's, that's so beautiful. And, you know, for me, it's all, all evolutionary. It's being vegan is, is an, one of the next stops in, in human evolution and, and human evolution is, is here 
it's here to stay. It's it's a law <laughs> of the universe. We keep evolving, and sometimes it looks like we we take a step backwards. And but that's that's all part of moving forward. Is taking a step sideways, taking a step backwards. But overall, we're moving forward, and and it's important for us to remember and celebrate that because we if we can celebrate the progress and we can see other people as as on their way to being vegan uh i i i think that that can help us move move the movement forward yeah well we're all doing it every day and since i know we're just about to end i i do want to you mentioned valentine's day at the beginning and i do want to share something that's happening at main street vegan academy which is the program i've been running since 2012 that trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches and educators and entrepreneurs we just don't put that on the certificate but we've got so many entrepreneurs i mean we've got yogurt companies cheese companies cowboy boot companies bed and breakfast cooking schools all kinds of things all over the world, graduates in 33 countries now. But we are, for the month of February, celebrating romance. It's like, yes, love is still alive. And so if you sign up for the Fall 2023 Main Street Vegan Academy certification program, your spouse or life partner can take the course with you as our gift because love is all around and let's share it. So if you want more information about Main Street Vegan Academy, that is at MainStreetVegan.com. And the lovely Marikita Solis is one of our graduates and we're very grateful and yes. proud. Thank you. I was telling everybody before you came on about, I mean, what an impactful life-changing event. I mean, that the course was for me. Um, it really helped me in my knowledge of health, medicine, and, and agriculture, and, and things that I didn't know about. And, and then the more knowledge we have, the better equipped we are to remain respectful, calm, and to have these crucial conversations. So thank you, Victoria, for everything you've done. And I was telling them how just carrying around my book, Main Street Vegan, <laughs> I mean, that was a catalyst, too, for conversations. And these conversations were curious. People wanted to know, what's that book? And and they were very respectful. So I love it. Thank you, Victoria. And I, and love, I love book carrying activism. You know, it was interesting. It used to be when I first came to New York City, everybody on the subway, they either had the newspaper in front of their face or a book. And the newspapers have kind of gone the way of some things. But we went through this phase where people were reading electronic books and then I couldn't see what they were reading. And it really bothered me because I always want to know because I really love books. And now we seem to be back to where people actually have, have books. And I've had that um, wonderful book by uh, Tracy Lynn McWhorter, By Any Greens Necessary. And it's geared for African-American women but people of uh, any race or gender can really get a lot out of the book. And that's one that a lot of people ask me about. So you can almost kind of test it out. You know, if you're going to be at a train station or something like that, you know, you bring your different vegan books and see which ones <laughs> get the most questions. I love that. We, maybe, Marikita, maybe we can we can do a little bit of a of a. I don't want to call it a contest. I can't think of, cannot think of the right word to call it, but have have a little bit of a of a of an event around that. Ask people to carry a book, be mindfully carry a book, and uh, 
preferably Main Street vegan, and and see see what kind of inspiration they can they can uh, trigger with it, and what kind of conversations. Well, it's all you know, books, t-shirts, whatever. And and I know you know some of the t-shirts I think are a little bit in your face and would turn people off, but we you know it it goes in. You know, even something just like kale. You know, we're used to seeing Yale. But <laughs> every now and then I'll see somebody in that kale t-shirt. And they're <laughs> usually guys and they usually go to the gym and they usually look really good. And it's kind of a little like, yeah, kale. Kale is good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And then, and Victoria, now you have uh, Main Street Vegan at, um, clothes and accessories. <laughs> Yes, um, that should be up uh, pretty soon. We've, we've had it just for graduates at first because we have certain products that say VLCE, which is the certification we offer, vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And we didn't want people uh, getting that who weren't uh, actual graduates. But I think next week um, it, up on the MainStreetVegan.com site, we'll have our shop. And like I'm very much into Ayurveda. And one of their suggestions is to sip warm water through the day. So I got myself one of those, you know, containers that keeps your hot drink hot. And yeah, it's pretty fun. You know, it's like if you're going to have something, you may as well have something that's carrying the message. Definitely. So Definitely. that's another reason to go to Main Street Vegan Academy. <laughs> You'll be tuned into all these exciting things that are going on with Victoria. I mean, she, you're a major change maker and working so hard every day. Nothing stops you. Oh, well, you're, you are very kind because lots of times, you know, I feel like stopping, you know, it's like, Woo, this is kind of insurmountable. And I have something new coming up. I'll just mention it while while we're here. Well, I say new. It's not all that new because it's a screenplay that we've actually been working on for many years. My, it was actually my husband's conception. My husband, the guy that bought the steak, who is now <laughs> super ethical vegan. And um, so the, the script is called Miss Liberty. And it's about a fictional cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse. And we know that actual escapes happen all the time. But this one is a story about um, this cow's escape and the human drama that ensues. And it is very exciting that at this point we have attached pending funding four actors whose names you would know if I named them, except I can't name them because they're attached pending funding. <laughs> so uh, don't get to talk about that, but I'm gonna be um, in the fundraising process for development uh, starting a little bit later in February. And there's a, a Twitter page for Miss Liberty. So if you're interested in uh, a movie about a cow, you can check out Miss Liberty the movie on, or the film, I think it is. Miss Liberty the, hmm, it's either the film or the movie on Twitter. Uh, or you could be in touch with me, Victoria, at MainStreetVegan.com. Because I think sometimes, you know, you ask about tips and what we can do and little things. And we do our little things and we do them every single day. And then every now and then somebody does something major. Like I mentioned, uh, Linda Middlesworth and, and her late husband came up with V-Dog, you know, the first 
good and widely available uh, uh, kibble for, for dogs that, that work is completely plant-based. You know, that's a huge idea and we don't get huge ideas every day. And so as I think about this feature film and how like, oh my gosh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. But then you think about feature films and you think about Norma Ray or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner or Philadelphia and what they did to society and we haven't had one like that for farmed animals, a, a regular adult movie, no talking animals, but a film that people would go to and take their kids to. So, you know, it's like, what is it, Alice in Wonderland, who said that she did several impossible things before breakfast. Sometimes we have to do one of those too. So, um, well, that's, well, <laughs> that's what I'm up to. That's beautiful. And, and we look forward to sharing information about it as you have more available. And, and I love it. You're, you're such a leader, such a, you're out front, uh, just leading all the new things. And, and this movie certainly is, is an example of how you're, you're leading with, with, with the things that really matter. So thank you for that. And I know we had several people here in the audience, Lori and James, uh, you know, encouraging you and thanking you. Lori says, thank you for sharing this heartfelt vision, Victoria. And it is heartfelt. And and this movement is and needs to be, and you've been you've been leading the heartfelt movement here. And and thank you so much. And 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 look forward to doing more with you and 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 having you part of our community i so appreciate you thank you well you guys are most appreciated in my book as well and thanks to everybody angela james laurie ellen and linda linda yes <laughs> yes thank you all for watching and make sure to subscribe and check out main street vegan victoria's channel on youtube victoria's everywhere look for her and oh, look my for youtube all. is victoria moran nyc don't have a main street vegan on youtube oh, okay yeah <laughs> victoria moran nyc NYC. <laughs> NYC. <laughs> NYC. <laughs> all right thank you everybody bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. namaste vegan namaste vegan